0: because this uh, might be the, the inner chronicle of what we are, and we have to articulate ourselves, otherwise we would be cows in the field.
1: Are you ready to go back to Titanic?
2: Alright, this is Cows in the Field, a movie podcast, and um, my name is Justin. I'm Laura. And today we're talking about James Cameron's 1997 Love Disaster, Epic, epic Titanic.
1: I didn't know you were going to say epic, but I'm glad we said it at the same epic.
2: time. Epic. This movie is so epic, and um, if you're listening to this podcast, I take it that you have seen Titanic, Or if you're just like a a human being who's been alive on this earth, you probably have seen Titanic. So many people saw this movie.
1: I think you would have actively had to avoid it. And some people did. I don't understand those people, but some people did. They're wrong. The
2: real question, I think, that separates the real fans from the the amateurs is if you saw the 3D re-release.
1: Which I did.
2: Yes, you did. I did not. It
1: sucked. Don't do it.
2: Well, it was still Titanic.
1: It was still Titanic, and it was my chance to see Titanic in the theaters again when I was not in fourth grade and having to see it with my dad. Um, but, you know, movies should not be made 3D after the fact.
2: It just didn't look good?
1: No good. It looked so bad.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and the the other thing that's disappointing about that, I hate, generally hate 3D post-conversion. And even when it's like, oh, the movie's been released in 3D, and it's post-converted. Mm-hmm. But... In a movie like this where so much of the movie was practical, adding CGI on top of that to like, you know, CG3D, I just feel like take something out of the visceral, you know, experience. Yeah, of it this felt movie like a George particular. Lucas
1: move. It, just don't mess with it.
2: Yeah, You're making something it's that perfect. you filmed. You literally built a, a tank to sink a giant boat in and film it so that it could look really like you know, real and Yeah.
1: So don't have like fake physical. third dimensions on top of it's it. Not, it's, it's like, it was all like shimmery yeah. and like weird. It was like all magic IE the entire time. It's okay. The, I think the worst scene actually was, and I'm not sure why this was, but the drawing scene. That looked particularly oh. horrible.
2: I would have thought they wouldn't have done very much 3D. The whole thing that. was
1: fake 3D. Yeah.
2: But I mean, but even when you're watching 3D, sometimes it, there's more in other certain scenes. Yeah, in no, other, nothing
1: perhaps. was like, it wasn't like her boobs were like poking out at okay. you or anything like that. Just, okay. <laughs> there was just sort of a false like multi-layeredness to yeah,
2: it. But mainly on the boobs. That was mostly, the issue. Yeah, okay. So tell me about uh, when you first saw this movie. Because this is like a, we should just say this is yeah. like a, this is pr- pretty much like the most important movie in your childhood growing up. It's yeah, up there though. It's basic. yeah, it's I mean up there. The very few movies could possibly compete.
1: Um I saw it as I as I mentioned with my dad um in the theaters. I was really really excited to see it. I was in fourth grade. It was the talk of the town. Mm. I think it was, you know, a little scandalous for a fourth grader, yeah, you know. Yeah. So people yeah, there's were There's a sex scene. There's a sex scene. There is nudity. Um I remember feeling pretty uncomfortable with my dad there and feeling a little bit relieved because my dad was on call. He's a doctor. And so he like kept getting paged and kept like leaving the theater. Wait, did he
2: leave like during the sketching scene? I don't think he did, unfortunately.
1: That would have been really good. But but he like left a couple of times. And I remember just sort of feeling like, oh, I can breathe. Like, (laughs) you know.
2: (laughs) So you, were you there? Because I
1: was like having like a sexual awakening over here, and I'm trying to do that with my like dad next to me.
2: Were you there with like friends, or just no? I wasn't cool. No, I'm sure
1: I saw it at like 10 a.m. on a Saturday with my dad. Yeah.
2: I you can't remember how, how I saw this movie, but I must have seen it. I must have saw it with my parents too, because I don't think I was. I going didn't yet to... know
1: you're supposed to see movies at night. Yeah. But anyway, so then um, I remember when it was like a huge deal when it, like, because it was on theaters for forever. And mm. then when it finally came out on video and DVD, it was like it was like a two pack VHS. No, they couldn't get
2: it all on it one. It was
1: so yeah. big. And it was one of the first DVDs that I purchased on my own when I was like buying my own movies. It was like that and The Mummy. Yo.
2: Two Zayn movies. Two... Z- oh, Z- is Zayn and Mummy? I what? don't think No, Brendan Fraser's in Mummy. Mummy. Brendan Fraser's
1: in Mummy, which I was going to think like, between Leo and, and Brendan Fraser, like I must have had like a preteen thing for like blonde boyish guys on like action adventures.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think if you had been born, uh, you know, a generation earlier, you would have been a Harrison Ford fan.
1: Shut your stupid <laughs> mouth. Absolutely not.
2: Well, I mean, based on that description... Anyway, continue.
1: I'm not getting into this with you.
2: Continue. <laughs> all right, so this movie um, that's was it. yeah. That's
1: all I had to say.
2: Yeah, but it was important. for It was you. An important movie to me. And I mean, but what was the what was the thing that was important to you? Because I mean, this movie like has a lot going on in it. So
1: yeah, um,
2: I, I mean, think was it the boat?
1: <laughs> you, kind of yes. Yeah. So really? well, uh, well, I think it was like the first time that people like kids my age got like fully into a movie and it became an all-encompassing cultural moment. I think like so there were like TV spots about yeah. like the Titanic sinking. There were giant books that you could buy, coffee table books yeah. that had like the pictures of the actual artifacts. I
2: think I remember. This. We were yeah.
1: like obsessed with like with underwater exploration all of a sudden. Yeah. Like it became larger than just the movie itself. Also that Celine Dion song was like Literally playing everywhere. So okay, so, everywhere. so you
2: were you were like at school and people were yeah. talking about like, yes. oh, people Titanic. People would like bring and... in their
1: dad's coffee table book when yeah. he, like they like bought the fancy book yeah, and we'd pour over the pictures. I remember looking at pictures of the models what? and stuff and like looking okay, at the Okay, but that's of all of the technical stuff. But what yeah. about
2: like Tiger Beat, Leo DiCaprio kind of stuff?
1: I was a bit of a late bloomer. So I'm, I was joking about like having a sexual awakening, but I... Yeah,
2: that happened when you were like 20, 24.
1: Yeah, I actually <laughs> still haven't had a sexual awakening. <laughs> So if anybody wants to tell me what that's like, you know, just like DM me. But um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: you can't DM Laura; she's not on t- Twitter.
1: I haven't done a sexual awakening yet. I'm not on Twitter. I'm a super late bloomer. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Um. So I wasn't, and I think I was like always a little bit wary. If like when all the girls like one particular boy, yeah, I like to like, be mm. like the one who was like, mm, "I like this other you're one." Like, that's like kind I like of that captain. Looking.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's got a rock and white beard.
1: Yeah.
2: I'm into the captain. No, I'm into Fabrizio.
1: <laughs> oh, no. <Okay>. Uh, <laughs> I had never thought that much about a movie. Ever. Yeah, How I, it was made, the I, history of yeah, it yeah. around I it. get
2: this. No, I get this. this. This was for me the same thing that happened like with Star Wars.
1: Okay. Like this yeah. is exactly
2: what yes. Star Wars was for me. And maybe even I think that's to a certain more extent common. Lord of the Rings when I was when it was Star
1: Wars isn't like huge extended universe. There's a lot to do there. It's not as much of Titanic, but
2: well, well, I mean, a lot of the Star Wars extended universe was dumb. And I was just into it. I was like, yeah, like, I'm going to know every member of Max Rebo's band. But like, who cares? Nothing
1: about Titanic is dumb. There's a
2: lot of real stuff that happened. And you were learning about shipbuilding and you were learning about the presumably about like love.
1: I was learning about love.
2: Yeah. I mean, these are important things. Star Wars it's just like, uh, you know, there are these lightsabers, this and that. None of this is real. Lightspeed. How many parsecs does it take to go through the kettle? Castle run. I had all this stupid information stored in my head that really amounts to nothing and I was into it mm-hmm. and, you know, but but I, I get it. I get that you had the, you were having that moment with Titanic with all your like... All
1: of us saw it. Like, so I went to mm-hmm. a really small lower school. There were probably like, I don't know, 40 kids uh, in our grade and I feel like everybody saw it and mm-hmm. we also had this really goofy thing. I went to like, it was at Montessori school but it was like, its own special hippy dippy thing but we had senior week because it, our school ended in 4th grade and so we had a week where we just wore senior jackets and like ran wild around Did the school senior
2: jackets like and sunglasses and
1: uh yeah there was one girl who wore sunglasses inside <laughs> her name was Molly anyway um <laughs> <laughs> okay um but yeah like we were just like painting each other's nails and like wearing it's you know you we're
2: being the kings of the castle yeah we were right? being kings, kings of the, the castle queen. in
1: fourth grade and the celine dion song was on loop all the time all okay the but time. like and
2: on a boom box or yeah, were, on uh-huh. like a boom
1: box like one of those big big old boom boxes um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh while we were like practicing our fourth grade uh talent show yeah
2: i mean that sounds fun actually i kind of wish i could have had that experience because i would have been watching this i would have been in seventh grade so and... you were probably
1: like pretending you were too cool for it? At yeah, that point? That's I imagine. A, seventh grade is like, seventh, peak, eighth like, grade. I'm intrigued by this, but I have to pretend mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah,
2: definitely was not. Too cool. Try, you know, was like, wow. The, I was probably of the opinion that, oh, the boat sinking was fun, but that's it, right? Because I had, it's you had know, it the performative thing. You had to perform yeah. like you didn't care about love or Leonardo DiCaprio. But, or could you, would
1: you perform like you were just there for the boobs? I guess some
2: people did. I I, I suppose that was also the thing. But But I really think that it was more like, but that boat part was cool, and the everyone could be like, "At least the boat cool. part was cool." Yeah, and I mean, right? You could probably quote the move, quote large parts of the movie, much in the way that I could literally right now quote you almost the entire Dune movie.
1: I am not as strong on it as you are on Dune, but probably. Yeah, you're parts you're you up. Yeah, right. I mean, the part that the like the last podcast when I said, "Are you ready to go back to Titanic?" and you looked at me with dead eyes, I was like,
2: "Yeah, I, I don't I, even understand." I didn't even. I was like. I don't even know what that is. Is this like a promotional thing? I didn't know that that was the Bill Paxton line. Yeah, the I, China
1: I, had never been used.
2: I yeah, no. So I I even that line. I'm trying to remember where that came. <laughs> I mean, it's not that I don't like this movie. I do like this movie a lot, and actually, this was the time I really enjoyed it the most. But I I yeah, I just don't have that kind of recall like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of Bill Paxton, so uh, you know, th- one of the probably one of the best things about this movie or at least one of the tops is is this double framing device that, so that they use good. Well, you have two protagonists uh you have B- bill paxton as the kind of audience surrogate james cameron surrogate protagonist who kind mm-hmm. of brings us into the the central you know the, the initial narrative of the movie which is find the heart of the ocean this sort of missing diamond that we knew was on titanic and so we we it's been lost we think god's oh, gone down with the ship we got to go and find it and they do all these dives and this is present day and so on and then the second framing device which is rose dewitt Bukater, uh played by kate winslet as a young woman Um, uh, but we bring in her as an older lady talking to bill paxton and and that's sort of and it's her stories that set the 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 narrative for um what's 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 to come and um, I mean, yeah, so you, you, you really like this.
1: I do. Uh, and I think some people don't. I think It's my,
2: controversial.
1: I think my dad at the time was of the opinion that like this movie was crazy long. Yeah, he's like, if you just
2: cut that beginning if part. you just cut the
1: beginning and end part, you don't need it. Like he was just sort of like, let's just get right into it with yeah. the Titanic. But I think it's so crucial. Um, not just because you have the two, the two character arcs, um, which I think deepen and, re- and, make, the, and make Rose's journey better. More resonant when you have like when you see how it affects Bill Paxton, yeah, um, but also because I think like the this movie's really cheesy. There's like no getting around it. It's so, so cheesy. And some of the dialogue is like borderline painful, yeah, um it, with the like with the romance in particular. And I think having the current modern day narrative framing narrative in which they are sarcastic and ironic and mm. jaded allows you to have to go like full cheese in the middle and it, for to not feel
2: it's almost like the yeah it's because it's almost like the movie says like we know that this like you we know what your expectations are going to be when you come into this movie yeah. you saw the trailer and you saw oh, it's like a big love story and we know that some of you are going to be on guard because you're going to be like ah i don't want to see a love story it's just so cheesy we're over this kind of thing mm-hmm. And, but then, you do that. Well, but the, okay, fine. But you've got this That's defense mechanism thing. in place. <laughs> and, but what he does is he says, okay you think this is a period piece but we're gonna actually start out in present day and you're like wait a sec what what's going on like and then you get these guys they're thinking what they're doing is cheesy right like bill paxton is like producing like a little video and he's narrating it and he's like the ocean it opens its eyes to us or whatever and then he's like okay that was stupid once the yeah. camera cuts what and- does
1: he say there's like how many thousands of pounds of pressure and he's like if this window cracks it's sayonara
2: yeah <laughs> see it's you so know good. the lyrics. i don't know the lines okay it's so good. and then he's like oh that was dumb I all right this let's bullshit yeah, let's let's move on to, to something interesting. And I think that is, that cynicism then helps to the, 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 the film itself as like, look, we know you're going to expect cheese. We're already going to get above that and be like, we know it's cheesy. Okay. And so already that kind of puts your defenses down. But then I think the second thing that is, um, that is helpful with it is uh, as a framing device, you get um, this wonderful contrast in the uh, the I forget that one guy the big beard guy mm-hmm. he shows Rose old Rose a you know this kind of CG animation of the Titanic breaking yeah so you so we it's like a as computer
1: the, animated uh, reenactment
2: yeah we're watching as through Rose's eyes the Titanic sink in CG model. So we know as an audience what, because we of course know what the Titanic is going to sink. So we know how it's going to sink. So James Cameron's already telling us this is how it's going to go down. And we know it's going to happen like for real, for real, in you know, later in the movie, but we're getting a a basic primer, like as if we read that little book that you had read, right? So we now know what's going to happen. And then it allows Rose to be like, well, being there was a little different. And you know that, okay, there's significance to those words, because you know, obviously, these guys aren't taking it that seriously. They're like, isn't this cool, nifty? Like, they have, you know, whatever, close to 100 years of time to have thought about this and distance on it. And they don't really understand the lives that were lost. And so you set up like, okay, we know somehow that's going to pay off. Mm Mm-hmm. And boy, does it pay off in like the last hour of the movie when you when it's 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 absolutely harrowing. But, But I just love that he puts you in that situation of being like, yeah, you know, it's gonna work, but it just sets it up so well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that, and she says that. Thank you for that forensic analysis, yeah. is what she calls it. But that forensic analysis also is in service of his incredible action because now that you've seen the way that the Titanic is going to go down, and you know that like the the tail is going to bob up yeah. before, like when you see jo- Jack and Rose run to the to the end of the boat, and you know exactly what's you know gonna what's happen, gonna happen.
2: you know what's going to happen. You know, and they, and they it, don't have to sit there and explain exactly, stuff to you. In it allows the moment. for
1: minimal amount of in the moment exposition yeah. which is really You're like nice. why is
2: it bobbing normally you'd have to have a character be like well look let me because this right that he just the gets it all out of the way yeah.
1: in a really natural way yeah. which let, like so you don't have to have Leonardo DiCaprio doing what he's going to do in Inception um I'm just like, <laughs> looking at an Inception poster as yeah. I'm saying this but you know what I mean like having yeah. to do a lot of dialogue in the having a lot of exposition as we're trying to like move forward with the story right
2: and then I was going to say one other thing about the narr- narrative device that I like is that there's a moment when um at the end of the movie where Rose has I think Jack has just died and she is bare, you know, she's she's about to like survive this this ordeal. And they cut back to the people on the ship and she's obviously been telling them the story and it just kind of slowly the camera of slowly pans across everyone's faces and they're just they're all crying and they're all and it's that's the what's amazing is like Normally, you think when a movie just looks at you and says, You need to be crying right now. Most people would be like, Screw you. Like, you're trying to manipulate me. Yeah. But this, it totally works. It's like the cherry on top of like, He's like, I took you on this journey. At first, I first defeated your cynicism. I took you on the journey. And in the end, when this, you know, the emotional climax of the movie and you should be feeling all those emotions like fully, I'm going to cut to the audience surrogate who is the people being told the story in the movie and they're going to have those same feelings and you're going to like you're going to feel it even more mm-hmm. and it's like ah oh, it's really genius like as far as like narrative like filmmaking and totally um yeah and I just think the other thing i love is about the like contrast between the the CG ship sinking and then the depiction of the real thing is that it really is in a way James Cameron selling filmmaking as like a storytelling medium. Mm. Because if you think about it, like she could have just, we could have just watched her describe it or we could have read a book or we could have watched the CG thing. But it's something about the experience when you're watching the actual ship slowly sink and just how in powerful and, and immense and inevitable that process is, that it's like, it's overwhelming. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's overwhelming much, I think, in the same way as the as the emotions end up being overwhelming. Yeah. Like, it's it's just, it's completely harrowing. And there really is no other way to do it. Like, looking at a, a photograph, like, it, looking at a painting, there's no other medium that allows you to do this kind of experiential storytelling. And I yeah. think that's the, so James Cameron is, like, saying, like, this is why I'm a filmmaker, you yeah.
1: know? Yeah. It's both the sort of monumentalness of it, you know, seeing it on a big screen and seeing how big the ship is and it's creaking and mm-hmm. like that that's overpowering. But also it allows filmmaking allows for you to get all that little rich detail that's completely lost to the sands of time. The pe- the looks on the people's faces, yep. like when Rose is going down on that ship and they're, and it's about to bob and Jack tells her to take a deep breath. She has she looks at two different people that are hanging onto the ship too as hard as they can and mm-hmm. like looking into their faces and seeing. The most vulnerable moment of their lives. Um, And there's a lot of close ups in this movie.
2: Sometimes their filmmakers make their thesis statement on film. And I think Scorsese's was Irishman. And I think this is Cameron's Mm. that this is like what he, why he thinks it's an important medium, like what he thinks the value of it is. You know, like theater, you could have done some of this, but you wouldn't have had the grand, grandeur and the scale, but you also wouldn't have been able to go as personal, as close. Mm-hmm. Uh to cuz everyone would always have to be projecting and right, so on and so forth. Right. And a it's book a you get in
1: plenty into detail. Yeah. Um but I just don't think you can like feel it viscerally. Yeah, it's not the, the same. same. I mean way. you can
2: imagine a lot of stuff but it's just being immersed in it in a theatrical experience. Mm-hmm. Um it is it's powerful. Um watching it this time it was what was there anything like you took away that was new or uh you know d- how did you feel about it watching it now versus when you were younger?
1: Um, this time around, um, I had forgotten how incredibly unsubtle the themes of the movie are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I definitely knew there was class stuff. Um, you know, it's, there's literally, you know, it's, it's made uh, physical in yeah. the decks, right? Of the ship. Um, people are literally, there's like steerage and, and, um, and you see people actually literally like shoving coal into the into the titanic to make it go and then you go all the way up to the to the snooty guys uh in the dining room with their cigars and whiskey talking about ruling the world um i've always known that was a part of the movie but it felt like incredibly beating you over the head strong this time well
2: cameron isn't he paints with broad strokes right
1: totally all life is a game of luck
0: Mm.
1: a real man makes his own luck archie right dawson
0: hmm And you find that sort of rootless existence appealing, do you? Well, yes, ma'am, I do. I mean,
2: got everything I need right here with me. Got air in my lungs and a few blank sheets of paper. I mean, I love waking up in the morning not knowing what's going to happen or who I'm going to meet, where I'm going to wind up. Just the other night, I was sleeping under a bridge and now. Here I am, on the grandest ship in the world, having champagne with you fine
1: people. <laughs> I'll take some of that. I figure life's a gift, and I don't intend on wasting it. You never know what hand you're going to get dealt next.
0: You'll learn to take life as it comes at you. Oh, here you go, count.
1: To make each day count.
0: Well said, Jack. Yeah, yeah. To making it count. To make it count.
2: But I think it's interesting that so Jack says something to the effect of like, you know, he gives this speech about what like the way he wants to live his life. He's like, I live one day at a time. I like bring, you mm-hmm. know, I try to take life as it comes. And I forget, I think it's Guggenheim that says like, here, here, right? To one day at a time. Like he's like, I'm into this. Yeah. I'm into this idea. This like sort of like, brand you know, what is it? Like live, I don't know, what, like be like a br- brush in the wind or a timble- timbleweed thumb.
1: Timbleweed tumbleweed tumbleweed please don't edit that out keep it in
2: uh so i want to be like a tumbleweed blowing in the wind (laughs) right but of course like Guggenheim or whatever that guy's not going to be a tumbleweed blown in the wind he's going to be like no wherever he blows it's like millions of dollars are going to be flying out of his pockets yeah but they
1: like to think about it I mean I thought about that with Cal too with his like I make my own luck like I think he but it's funny Cal and Jack like both have kind of an ease in which they move through the world in totally different ways and they also kind of have catchphrases (laughs) 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 <laughs> or, <laughs> yes, <it's true. laughs> but cal says a couple times i make my own like yeah yeah no you don't like you buy your own luck well that's what he means that's what he means i think that's what he means but,
2: but, or he cheats. he cheats that's the thing he's like yeah. i don't i don't care about like you know i i'm not gonna play fair that's the way he thinks right. of it. Cause he's sort of like, I'm entitled to this. Cause he, and right, he inherited his wealth, right? He's not, right. he doesn't, inher- he's like an oil right. family. Yeah.
1: It's his dad who files the insurance claim on the, on the heart of the ocean afterwards, yeah. not Cal himself. Um, yeah. So it's, he's definitely just riding on dad's money.
2: I mean, related to the class thing is Rose's uh, rejection of, um, the class system that she's been brought up in Mm -hmm. oh speaking of that actually before we even get to that so i think it's interesting that um rose's mom we had a discussion about this after the movie about how sympathetic a character she was Mm -hmm. and my pitch for why she's actually quite a sympathetic character is that she offers she basically says to rose you need to marry this guy we don't have any money left your father sort of left us with debt and that's it. So you're the last hope of the family. It's kind of a classic story of like the rich family that lost its money pins its hope on a, on a, on a political marriage that will like, you know, keep them, in the, keep them in their rank.
0: You're not to see that boy again. Do you understand me? Rose, I forbid it. Oh, stop it, mother. You'll give yourself a nosebleed. This is not a game. Our situation is precarious. You know the money's gone. Of course I know it's gone. You remind me every day. Your father left us nothing but a legacy of bad debts hidden by a good name. That name is the only card we have to play. I don't understand you. It is a fine match with Hockley. It will ensure our survival. How can you put this on my shoulders? Why are you being so selfish? I'm being selfish. a seamstress is that what you want to see our fine things sold at auction our memories scattered to the winds it's so unfair of course it's unfair we're women our choices are never easy
2: I think in that moment she is that it's, it's an it's an absolutely compelling appeal because she's like, look, Rose, you're 17 years old. You love this, you think you've fallen in love with some, you know,
1: floppy-haired.
2: Floppy-haired vagabond. <laughs>
1: vagabond. You know, like, who looks he cute, like Leonardo like, DiCaprio. Yeah, don't yeah. <laughs> um, but
2: you know, like, that's not gonna last. Like, on the other hand, if you decide to break off this marriage, which we've worked really hard to get you married to this guy, Cal, then we're all going to be poor. And that's going to make me and the rest of your family suffer. And of course, she probably did the same thing, Mm -hmm. right? Her family was probably like, look, yeah, I know you don't like this guy that much. He's super rich. So you got to marry him and, you know, keep the money in the family. And, you know, so she's done a sacrifice herself. It's not like she's selfishly asking. She's sort of like, look, this is what we do. This is what society demands of us. We're women. We just have to marry whoever the yeah, family is decided. Our
1: choices are never easy. Yeah,
2: the choices, we don't have a choice. I think in a way, she's just like, you don't really have a choice. Like, this is what you're going to have to do.
1: <laughs> no, I know. I think after, so our our when we had this conversation about like which characters were the least sympathetic and I thought it was Rose's mom and you thought it was Cal. Uh, and then you like you know, reminded me of that particular scene. I did sort of wonder if it was just like, I had to investigate my own inner misogyny. Um, if like, in fact I didn't like Rose's mom as much just because she's less charismatic. She's mean.
2: Yeah. I mean, Z-
1: Zane I, is just so smooth.
2: I think of the, <laughs> Rose's mom. I don't even remember her name, but I think of her as, as a, uh, sh- as a deeply like pathetic character in the yeah. sense that she really is like deluded and and stuck in this really horrible frame of mind. Like she's, she can't, it's almost like someone who is, um, you know, is, has a mental illness almost. She's just like, I, you know, she's been treated to the best and now she can't go back, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel, I do weirdly feel bad for her because it's like, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, like, imagine, like, just imagine, like, we've all had electricity. Just imagine if there's, like, now you're not going to have electricity. You'd be like, fuck, that sucks. Like, it just sucks to, to have to, like, go from having something to not. And
1: Totally, and yes.
2: She doesn't sort of, she's she's so entran- entrenched in the system because that she thinks that, like, she's doing weirdly, like, like Rose op- is obligated to do this because like she did it and so on you yeah
1: know? and she has about I think she's you know discounting Rose's feelings because you know she maybe never even had like a romantic love experience because yep. she was you know kind of like contractually married to somebody yep. or because she did at one point but like she chose she had, to you do know, her job. she had to do her job. And like, you know, she feels like in the balance of it, your quality of life is more important than just like a romantic spark with your partner. Yeah. And I have to admit, watching this now as a 30 something year old, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I do the math. You and know, I did the math. We're like, Rose is 17 years old. Yeah. Also, she's known this guy for two days. I forget yeah, how time not- or the timeline <laughs> is. I'm like, this is a bad plan.
2: Yeah. It is. <laughs> that said, we're going to talk about how amazing the love story is. Don't worry. It's so don't good. Don't worry. But like, this is our being practical. All right, We right. got to get the practical stuff out yeah. of the way. Okay, like, so...
1: You know, I know that floppy-haired boy is like super sexy, but like, you've known him for two days, girlfriend? Yeah. And you were 17 years old.
2: So we're building up that <laughs> side. Now, let me just say a little bit about Cal, but I don't think he's sympathetic. Yeah. So Cal obviously has... does... Earn a little bit of sympathy in the sense that he tries again and again to be good to Rose, and she just kind of doesn't want to be with him, obviously. And like she doesn't want to live this life, and she's in love with someone else. So, you know, that's but that sucks. That does suck. Right. But yeah. then he decides to try to kill them. <laughs> then, right? It's
1: like he has a he, he has, has some rage.
2: Yeah, that is not. That's not sympathetic, right? Like, the part... You you lost your sympathy when you pulled the gun on them. And then the other part that's a little bit, you know, less sympathetic is when he, you know, wheel, uses the child to get into the... Yeah. You know, he does a lot of, like, kind of cowardly. He's a real coward.
1: Yeah. I know. They almost
2: make... It's just... He's
1: just, like... He's just a little bit less nasty to Jack, but like, I think that's just, that's all calculated too. He knows that being an, you know, an asshole to Jack is not going to curry Rose any favors. Um, yeah, he's just, I think I'm just like taken by Billy Zane more than anything
2: else. I mean, Zane is great and I think, yeah, he's playing it really well. (laughs) Um,
1: I think he's great in this role. I think he really brought a lot to it.
2: Totally. Okay. So one of the um bigger themes, overarching themes of this movie, which I think when I was just sort of reading about the Titanic, like the the tragedy, right, that the, mm-hmm. the it's just it's interesting that that once people got distance on it, they started to put this in the context of history and it really is a big symbol. Like the whole thing weirdly in real life is like an allegory for okay. a lot of stuff.
1: Tell me more. Well,
2: I mean, one thing is you have a it's kind of the last gasp of the pre um uh modern world. What what modern in the sense of like the mechanized um, industrial. industrial world. Yeah. And um I I was trying to figure out what historians call this period but I guess sometimes it's called the late modern period um and I think of it as like the downfall of the late modern aristocracy this sort of group of rich people who could just kind of hold on to wealth because they had the right name or bloodline or whatever mm-hmm. like I feel like that whole sort of system is about to just get Completely destroyed. I mean, you have the Russian Revolution looming. You have after World War One, um, and you know the rise of Nazism and stuff in in Germany. You have also like um uh, the sentence of the U.S. as a superpower and the descendants of like Great Britain and and the the Queen and the King and all this. I, I really think like what you're seeing is the the rise of people like Jack, kind of up and coming. You know, upstart, whatever. You know, hard workers.
1: entrepreneurial people. Right, the, and the Carnegies. Down, right, the
2: Carnegies, and the downfall of these family.
1: Right, m- right. Like what's people. coming up? Like the people that we now consider uber uber rich. Like when we say that he's a Rockefeller, are people that made Bezos. their. Be- it's like yeah. Bezos now, yeah, made yeah made their money out of the industrial boom. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Not because they were a duchess,
2: exactly. Yeah, and so yeah. I I feel like so it's symbolic for that,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and of course part of that is that these people were riding high, things were good, you know, like everything's going well. We got the biggest ship ever made, it's the fastest ship. Let's go as fast as we can right through an iceberg landmine. Right? There's a yep. lot of hubris in just being so like, much, let's yeah. crank those those uh, burners and try to get in there a day early. Oh, there are icebergs around? Whatever. We'll see them. No problem. Right? <laughs> Not realizing that the ship we is too- We don't need
1: lifeboats.
2: <laughs> yeah, we don't need lifeboats, right? The ship is too big and they don't, they don't yet recognize that, right? It's like, what else is too big? Their egos, right? Mm-hmm. Their wealth. Everything is just too much. And what's looming is- World War One, you know, millions of people are going to die. Great Depression. A lot of that wealth is going to get just des- destroyed in the Great Depression and then redistributed in the New Deal. World War II. Russian Revolution. Yeah. Nuclear bombs going to get dropped. Cold War is coming, right? Like, yep. this stuff is... The world is going to be very different in 20 years from what these people are experiencing. And I think, in a way, the downfall of the Titanic, it's just this weird thing of, like, it kind of encapsulates a lot of the... The social issues that were, I think, precipitating this—you um, know—all these events that really yeah. get started with World War One, two years after this. Mm-hmm. My my take on this movie is this: I think that Cameron, obviously, as we talked about before, playing with painting with broad strokes, class stuff, blah blah blah. But I think that underneath all those broad strokes is actually a quite subversive anti-capitalist message and there's a you know a heavy dose of um irony or i'm not even sure if i'm using that word right in this context but there's a heavy dose of wow that's interesting because of course this was the (laughs) at the time highest most expensive movie 200 million dollars estimated budget and it was at the time the highest box office grossing movie of all time it grossed 1.8 billion dollars which is insane um okay but why do i think this movie anti-capitalist well the most like sort of surface read is that rose rejects cal she rejects the money she could take the money it's like hey here he's literally handing her money In the form of a diamond (laughs) and she could be like cool i'm going to take this money and then i'm going to have an affair with jack Mm -hmm. she could have done that and she doesn't so then since she is rejecting the 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 money and so that's a kind of rejection of of the of the capitalist system but it's more than that i think and this is where the framing device comes back and i think it's really important even though yeah it adds roughly 35 minutes to an already long movie because at the end of the movie, we learn that Rose had the heart of the ocean in with her the whole time. Mm-hmm. She's had it, you know, this whatever 80 years that's passed, she's had it the entire time. And we know that she didn't do anything with it. She kept it. She didn't try to sell it. She didn't try to profit on it in any way. And when, at the very end of the movie, she just throws it into the ocean. She doesn't want it. And that's the thing everyone has been looking for all these guys Cal everyone looking for the ocean the heart of the ocean and she just gives it back to the ocean now the reason I think this is sort of actually like a, a real deep rejection of a kind of capitalist system is that again she could have easily just profited on this she could have gone to a broker and they could have smashed it to pieces mm-hmm. there's many ways in which you could have surreptitiously sold this this gem mm-hmm and made tons of money. Instead, adopts her own system of value, namely, like, I'm gonna value certain experiences. She becomes a pilot, and she goes to Coney Island, I don't know, she goes to some-
1: I'm not sure, She's, she goes on a roller she coaster. She goes on a roller
2: coaster, that's the thing that she talks about with Jack.
1: Why can't I be like you, Jack? Just head out for the horizon whenever I feel like it.
0: Say we'll go there sometime to that pier. Even if we only ever just talk about it.
2: No, we'll do it. We'll drink cheap beer. We'll ride on the roller coaster till we throw up. (laughs) Then we'll ride horses on the beach, right in the surf. And she has all these experiences and she's sort of like, that's what she values. And at the end of her life, she's happy because she's kept alive in a way Jack's memory. And she's done so on her own terms and she never, in a way she didn't, do so by participating in the capitalist system that Cal represents. And I think it is quite subversive because if you think like, well, that is in a way the most radical rejection of capitalism is to just literally say, I reject your system of value. Like, yeah, lots of people want this thing. They're willing to give me lots of money for it. And do you use that money to do whatever I want? I reject that. I reject that system completely. Oh, that's the other thing. I forgot about this. At the very end of the movie, there's we get a doubling of the moment where she cro- she goes up the stairs, and 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 uh, Jack is at the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. Except this time, he's not wearing the the tuxedo; he's wearing just his normal his gear, suspenders. his suspenders. And the entire cast, actually, I think, except for Cal, is present
1: and all mixed about all in terms mixed of the
2: together. Exactly, there are no class distinctions. Everyone's there surrounding them in the sort of in the balconies and and everywhere and they all applaud. Uh, you were saying it's almost like a wedding scene.
1: Yeah, she's they, wearing white. I never noticed white. that before. They yeah. all
2: applaud. It's obviously a fantasy scene, but I think that's what she that's showing you what Rose wanted. What she wanted was a world where there aren't these class divisions, people aren't trying to just kill each other for money and be one-up each other f- because they want to be cooler or whatever. It's just a world where people get to like experience joy and love and their own pleasure in the world and um, somewhat unfettered by all this other stuff. And yeah. I, and so I, that's why I think in a weird way, this movie, which is the most expensive movie ever made, is actually like much, totally a rejection of the very system that created it.
1: Yeah. I sort of feel like maybe this is, sounds terrible, but I, um, or like a, you know, bad screenwriting, but I feel like there are versions of this movie or like are... There could be a version of this movie in which she like sells the heart of the ocean and you know donates it and creates like a Jack Dawson School of Art. Yeah, you yeah, seen it exactly. in other movies, no, yeah, right? That kind of but stuff. But all happens. that is is like a perpetuation. Like she's not interested in money any which that's way. The she's idea. donating or taking it. Yeah, yeah No, I'm agreeing the, with exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> no, no. That's a, no.
2: That's exactly what I'm saying. It's like yeah. your show what you're showing is there there's an alternative version of this movie where she just does good within the capitalist system. Right.
1: She's not interested in that. She just,
2: does, she just doesn't want to exist within totally that system at it. all. She
1: just wants to ride the roller coaster until she pukes yeah. and like live her life and like take it all in. She wants to
2: be a good person as yes. Jack understood it. Uh, you know, someone who lives as a thimbleweed and <laughs> um, that's what she wants and like, and she just does it and she does does it on her own terms and I think it's, I, I do think it's wonderful Um, That she doesn't try to exist within the system.
1: Yeah. The thing I noticed this time around about the movie, which I hadn't really clocked before, was that um, I'm not sure what kind of script. It looked like Russian though was on the ship. Hmm. And there were all these like maybe Eastern European um, crewmen on on um, Bill Paxton's ship. Um, when when they're oh, looking yeah. for the heart of the diamond. Mm-hmm. And, and when he doesn't get the heart of the, you know, they crack the safe, they think they found it, they pop in the champagne early and then it's not in the safe. Um, but he has to make a phone call. He has to like talk to mm. whatever benefactor that is who allows him. Yep. you know the money man. Yeah, the essentially, money man, yeah, like he's Bill. These, yeah, these journeys. He's like you know I think Bill Paxton sees himself as like an Indiana Jones yeah. um adventurer type, but like he can't do anything without you know without having to sort of serve. There's
2: strings attached. Yes, right to every creative or intellectual adventure, whatever it is, there's strings attached. You got to satisfy someone's ego. Right. And that's what Rose rejects. She's like, screw you. I'm not going to satisfy anyone's ego. I'm not going to grovel for money or even participate in the system. I'm just doing it on my own terms.
1: Yeah. I had thought of it as her like, way of getting closure like holding on to the heart mm-hmm. of the ocean was her holding on to the trauma of this experience and she like finally and telling her story comes to a place of peace mm-hmm. and then can like let it go and put it back where it was that's good like i like the way
0: yeah I like that's that. how
1: i had always thought of it um but you know thinking about it realistically you got a you know almost priceless diamond in your pocket and you're trying to make your way like it's pretty radical to not use it. It's cool. It's awesome.
2: But I lo- I like your idea. That brings us to 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 also the the other theme of this, which is memory, mm-hmm. right? And that there, I think there's a certain obligation that Rose takes on in that final scene with Jack. She's like, "I'll never let you go. Mm-hmm. I'll never let you go." She's it's, she's taking on the obligation to keep him alive in her m- memory, and I think that this is an obligation that we the living feel. Uh, for the memories of our of our loved ones who, who've passed, right? We feel like you know that they have gone is can be okay because they'll remain in our memories mm-hmm. as long as we continue to think about them and cherish the memories that we have. But it is a um, often it is hard. To have, I mean, we didn't experience what they experienced, right? So these memories um, that are being passed down to us, like for instance, the memory that Rose now passes on of Jack. Remember, she talks; she says this at one point. Nobody knew who he was because he only exists now in my memory, right? right? Yeah, and the, there's she, no she, record of him. She, no what record. They, they she said, passes yeah. that memory on to the to these guys on the boat, and that memory. It's like I um, I don't know, it's like a game of uh, telephone where, mm. yeah, they have s- kind of some sense of it, but they don't really have it, yeah. right? She, that they memory, don't have
1: access to what we have her, access to as the viewer and right. actually seeing Her experiences. Him, yeah, living and through her that, eyes.
2: Yeah, exactly. What it was like to fall in love with someone after two days mm-hmm. and be willing to give up your entire life for them mm-hmm. and how, and then have them die in front of you, right? Like, it's a, it's absolutely heart-wrenching and.
1: Yeah. I wonder too, if that, like I was thinking about when you, the, Cameron cuts back to them, to the wrapped, you know, surrogate audience a couple of times. And one is after um her, her drawing yep. the experience, the story. And like, they're all just like, Ooh, you know, they're titillated mm-hmm. by her description of this. And then she's like, there's like, what happened next? And she said like, you know, you mean, did we do it? Um, But like it, that's, it sort of takes you out of the moment in a way, but it does get to the fact that like, even as she maybe is describing it as vividly as she can, um, you're now, you're getting like a, you're getting a, a photocopy of a photocopy. Um, you know, their experience of it is not what we just saw, which yeah. was no more than just, did you just, did you do it? It was like moving and yeah. beautiful and, you know, engrossing. grossing. Well, let's describe
2: that actually slightly because, uh, okay. so that scene, which apparently was the first scene they filmed together.
1: Really? Yes. What an introduction.
2: Interesting, right? But it, you see it in their faces. Uh-huh. There's a Leo when she drops the robe. Is
1: he's like, oh, yeah. He's
2: yeah. like, he's clearly a little uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and I think that like there's this feeling of like he's trying his best to keep his composure, and he's clearly like his heart is racing, and he's he's nervous, and he's he's. You know, this is, this is like a, he, this isn't just one of his French girls, right? Mm-mm. He's really in love with this woman. And, um, and they, I, I think that you see all of that because you get these close ups of him and then a close up of her and you, and just the eye contact that they're making as he periodically looks up from his scribbling.
1: And he's got like one piece of hair over his eyes. Yeah.
2: And it's just like, yeah. And then you cut back, as you said, to the, to the narration and, and it's like, uh, Did you do it? And you know, and it's like it's like obviously (laughs) totally. Just see what I saw. Shut up. It's totally like (laughs) oh yeah, you totally didn't get any of that. No, because they can't. You know, you can't get it from from the words Mm -hmm. alone. I mean, unless you're unless an amazing author or something, but you get it for just from the subtlety of the performance that, um, in that scene and and just how and they're of course they're kids. That's the other thing to remember is that like. Who knows how old Leo's supposed to be? But she's seventeen. I mean, they're they're children, really, and mm-hmm. and they're just, you know, they're just trying to. I don't know. It's like it's like young love in the de- by the de- definition of young love in yeah. a way, and like it's like the most powerful feeling that they will have ever felt in their life. I mean, she she mm-hmm. even mentions it. She's like, you know, like yeah, you know, I had a family and stuff and everything, but like I'll always have that yeah. thing for for Jack because it was a really. Important formative,
1: of course, uh,
2: experience for her.
1: Um, I and mean, the thing that struck me too, and maybe the one of the reasons that I thought that she was holding on to the heart of the diamond and her and her heart of the ocean and her putting it back in the ocean was about her like letting go of this trauma and this experience that like she never told anybody about Jack. Yeah, that's right. That's crazy. So yeah. she feels this enormous responsibility to carry him with her
2: yeah
1: but she it's so private and it's so in it's so secret she doesn't tell even the closest person to her the next like her her That's partner right. her husband That's i think right. she had a good relationship there yeah. you don't have any reason to think she didn't have a good relationship with her with her husband and you know, they had grandchildren and, and she lived a whole life with this people yeah. with this man and she never mentions that she fell in love this other time or that you know like
2: that this she is what this, set her on
1: on this path, the path. right to become like, an actor because she changes her name things. right right like yeah like she never says like oh i you know i wasn't born rose dawson like he never knows that about her yeah. um that's that's such a weight to carry by yourself maybe because i'm an ext- external processor but like that would be very hard for me to not talk about that yeah,
2: experience, totally, and until and,
1: you get to a bunch of strangers, because now you're 101, and you're like, "Here I am,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: settle in." <laughs> I've been writing this one in my head for a while.
2: Well, she also knows she's got the the you know the audience, you know, in in theater too. You're right? Um, but she's
1: like, it's been 80 years. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, but yeah, it, you're right that 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 is that is interesting that it's like she's finally able to let go of all of that burden that she's been keeping uh singularly keeping jack alive in her memory alone and now she feels like okay i can let this go Mm -hmm. uh and i can and i i'm imagining we're I kind of imagine that she dies at the end, right? Yeah. She's sort of yeah. just like, now she's let it go and she just falls asleep and dies. And yes, great. that's
1: how I. I mean, it was sort of like, is it a dream? Is it like heaven? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how I like it. And I just think
2: that's wonderful that, like, um, yeah, I like that interpretation as well. I mean, my interpretation is this sort of like cynical anti capitalist interpretation. That's a very a moving no, romantic interpretation. I think
1: the anti capitalism stuff is there too because Bill Paxton's dark is also mm-hmm. anti capitalist um, in that, like, he he comes to change his values as well. That's true. He was all about that heart of the diamond. I think he's about adventure too, but he really seems the way he plays it. Is it's, that end, he like,
2: it's end related. He's yes. like, I need to get this goal. Get I'm this here money. for the money. Yeah.
1: Right. I'm all about the money. Like, and he said like, I for, well, well,
2: actually, I'm so clear. He's for the money, but he's, he's, he wants to put it in a museum, but he's for the, right?
1: No. What? I thought he was, I thought, the, I don't think there's any mention of a museum. What? I thought that he was like, we want he'll people put, to see it. No, he said that to Rose because he's like, uh-huh. he's. I don't think he's trying to tell her about the fact. So he's that just he's-
2: selling it. They're just yeah. treasure hunters. Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. He said the
1: only people that know about the heart of the ocean are like on, is on this ship. I see. They're yeah, getting yeah, that. They're bro- just going to, they'll put everything, they'll put the broken doll faces and stuff in a museum. That's fine. Yeah. But they're there for the, for the riches. Got it. Yeah. Okay. They're pirates essentially. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Now, um, that, now that that, that actually explains the earring. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the I gonna, cool earring. I, you know, no. wow.
2: I'm learning something about this movie right now. Yeah. Wow. I didn't no, think no, of no. it so that way. That's why I
1: thought about. I said he's all about that money and he had to like, you know, he had to like basically get his financiers together so he can get a part of the heart of the ocean, but he's there for the heart of the ocean and to yeah. sell that sh- shit off. Huh. That's what he cares about. And he pretends he cares about other stuff when he does his documentary. He pretends he cares about other stuff mm. because he's trying to get information out of Rose to find out where that fucking diamond mm. is. Like, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about the China again. I don't care. Where's the diamond? Mm. But at the end of it, when he says to the daughter or to the granddaughter, like I've thought to of James nothing. Cameron's to James Cameron's wife. James wife. That, like, I've thought of nothing but Titanic for the past two years. He meant, like, all in service of finding this diamond. Like, he's like, he's looking at the, like, you know, the layout of the Titanic so he can figure out where Cal's room is and where the wardrobe is so he can get to the safe so he can get his monies. And now he doesn't care about that anymore. He says, like, I've thought of nothing about Titanic, and I never let it in. Yeah. And his values have shifted.
2: Yeah, I think he... He yeah. cares about
1: the human stories and the tragedy that took place in Titanic and not just seeing it as, like, you know, basically... A, a treasure a, chest. Yeah, a treasure chest.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. It is also, like, I, I think that... You can you can think of that from different angles. So the one is that, you know, he undergoes a certain kind of almost like religious conversion, much like Rose does with, with Jack... Um, just as a way of realizing how to free yourself from a particular mindset that's kind of shackled you in place. Um, But the other is just like, you know, that is supposed to be mirrored in the experience that we are supposed to undergo Mm -hmm. as the audience who sort of, where James Cameron is kind of like at the beginning of the movie being like literally in a way turning to the audience and saying like, yeah, we all know that Titanic sank. (laughs) But did you know? you know that there was there, love on board there was a do you know the real story you know that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. and then and then proceeds to give you two and a half hours of like a gripping story about so, the titanic and yeah. it's like and by the end of it you come out being like now i've experienced history you feel like you really experienced history in a way that like you couldn't have just reading a book or whatever and i think that that is you know then maybe you might have a profound ex- you know change in your view about history right and start to think you know maybe i should call my grandparents or something you know and like be (laughs) like
1: my grandma's got like a really sexy story she's never told me because you think about you might
2: i don't know i mean i don't think i'm alone in this where i you just see your grandparents or your ancestors or whatever as like not human not people who had the same kind of went through the same sort of emotions and feelings and yeah. issues that we went through cuz we we think back and we're like yeah you know man we we can we you you hear them talk about like yeah well, we we only had one light bulb Or <laughs> i don't know you know like mm-hmm. we, we had to milk the cows every day and you're like this is like, like describing like an alien experience from mine like i don't even understand what that would be like i don't know maybe maybe i'm alone in this that i i i don't normally think of my grandparents no, in think that it's, way but, it's but hard this to movie kind of your... helps to flesh out that story so to speak yeah. not just like a series of events but
1: yeah, no, I think it's really hard when you see somebody a generation older, two generations older than you, they you know loved and they lost. Yeah, that kind and of that stuff. Kind of You're of like, there's a feeling.
2: universality here that like I you forget about you forget almost. about it. Yeah. and you see
1: that in the granddaughter, yeah. you know, when she's she's like helping her sort of elderly grandma who she loves, but I don't think she really she doesn't see Rose for everything no. it's for everything that Rose is, and yeah. you know, like they they're looking at the drawing and and she's like, you really. Think you
2: nana yeah
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like to- as if as yeah, if like, totally. <laughs> she wouldn't know like what her likeness was from when she was 17 you know what i mean like she's no she's like, seeing the boobs and she's, like, she's mm-hmm. like you didn't have boobs
2: yeah she's like i don't know about she this she couldn't
1: have been a 17 year old like she's just like ah she's kind of looking at bill and like i'm sorry she's losing it yeah. like that can't be nana but that's what i think
2: that's how i feel about it i'm like ah it is it's you know it's remarkable to yeah. think back and of course if we're lucky will be remembered by some people and they'll think, you know, and then they'll have these, they'll tell these stories and people be like, Oh yeah. Do my grandparents, they lived through the coronavirus epidemic of 2020. And <laughs> people be like, what was it like then? And they're like, well, you couldn't go outside <laughs> without wearing a mask. They're like
1: really? Yeah. Yeah. All the NBA players are just hanging out in Orlando. It was crazy. Yeah,
2: They're like, wait, there was something, such a thing where people play basketball in person. <laughs> wait, 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 hold on. people, Actually went outside? I forget this mask thing. They, they they literally left their pods and they went outside and their nutrient pod? They left their nutrient pod? How did they eat? I don't understand. I don't... Did they... I mean, did they have like an intravenous feeding system? What happened?
1: Oh, my God. So, basically, like, <laughs> you just want to live like Agatha in Minority Report.
2: Yeah, we've already established that. Ew. We've already established that. Did we
1: talk about that? Yeah, okay, we established
2: great. that in the Minority Report okay, episode. Okay, great. I'm just, I'm doing a callback joke. I
1: can't, I can't <laughs> keep track of how many people you've told you want to live in a milk goo. Let's go back to Titanic. <laughs> Let's get Are it we, together.
2: I didn't have much more to say on Titanic. It's a good movie.
1: This movie's everything. It's the full package. It's a perfect film.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there you have it. The final note, <laughs> Laura's note, perfect film titanic um (laughs) uh it's good so you know if you haven't seen titanic in a while uh i think we both are giving it three thumbs up on this one to go see (laughs) a couple of toes three thumbs two toes and uh um and yeah go go check it out it's um
1: go check it out if you've been living in a hole (laughs)
2: Well, no, I mean, I am assuming you've already seen it, but uh, uh, if you haven't it. seen it recently, revisit it and revisit see it. if you can
1: see some anti-capitalist radical messaging in yeah, it. Yeah, I
2: mean, there's some beaten on, beating you over the head with class stuff, but but there might be some more subtle stuff in there. And then, yeah, and then um, next week we have, or whatever, in two weeks we have Force Gump, which will you'll you'll see a very different tone between Laura and I for this movie, for that movie. The effusiveness that you saw with this movie, I think, is not going to be there for Laura. <laughs> but anyway i'll be I'm happy gonna, you know to, like if you can't watch say forrest something
1: gump. nice don't say anything at all so I'll laura on will it. be silent
2: uh and then <laughs> i will just i will monologue. be following thumper
1: rules and i will be silent yeah
2: i'll be monologuing about forrest gump uh <laughs> but do tune in for forrest uh because i think in the way that this movie was formative for you in a weird way forrest gump was somewhat formative for me mm-hmm. um and i'll explain how in in that episode and then um and it's then because after-
1: you have a shrimp, shrimp empire now right <laughs> <Shrimp> and... <laughs> uh,
2: so that's going to be ha- that's happening so um, in the meantime um, we're gearing up for another round of a mini series, which we'll reveal uh, I guess next time and then sure. we've got a couple in between uh, fun ones coming up with uh, some, some fun guests coming on and then find us on Twitter ca- at cowspod uh, we also have a website cowspod.wordpress.com and uh, last, uh, you know, if you enjoy this, uh, leave us a review on uh, wherever, but uh, on Apple really helps. And um, yeah, thanks so much, guys.
1: Bye.